0: Welcome once again to Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Head to fblsport.com to check out the entire collection. Adam Webster with you once again, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by the Pick and Roll's feature writer, my friend Tom Hirsch. Tom, a really special guest that we're lucky enough to have joining us today, a current boomer, a former NBL champion, and a reigning NBA champion.
1: Yeah, we're, we're lucky enough to have Jack White with us. Um, Jack, as uh, as many will know, is uh, chasing his NBA dream again this season. Currently with the South Bay Lakers in the G League, um, also made his debut at a major tournament for the Boomers last year at the FIBA World Cup. Um, and really looking forward to having a great chat with him just to just to check in about where he's at and uh,
2: and what's what's coming up ahead later this year. Well, without further ado, Jack White, welcome to Unwrapped. Uh, appreciate it, fellas. Stoked to be here. Looking forward to having a good chat.
1: Thanks, Jack. Look, I, I want to start by going back to training camp with OKC last October because I know from talking with your agents that you probably went in there thinking not only is there a roster spot for you, but probably a pretty good role to play with that squad. And then obviously it didn't quite turn out that way. You were, you were waived on the eve of the season due to a roster crunch. So I just want to ask what, what was your what were your initial thoughts, your mindset when you were told there wasn't a spot for you? What sort of conversation did you have with Sam Presti or OKC management at the time, and, and then with your agent as well? You know, what what are the options that you considered right away in terms of in terms of your next steps,
2: given uh, given you were kind of on the outside looking in there at that point in time? For sure. Um, I mean, obviously, initially when you hear the news, it's not something you want to hear. Um, I knew that. Um... I, you know, obviously I knew the reality of the situation and that there was always a chance for that occurring, but, um, you know, I was, I was happy with the the work that I'd put in, um, you know, during my time there, especially during training camp and in the opportunities that I got in the, uh, preseason games, but, um, you know, that's, that's the nature of the business, you know, things don't always work out and, um, and yeah, the conversations, um, with, with coach Dana and, uh, and Sam Presti were, were super positive. Um, one of the messages that they just wish they could have had me around a bit sooner. Um, obviously, he was delayed getting in after World Cup and stuff like that, which, again, nature of the business. I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. Um, but, yeah, you know, they were comfortable with some other options or some other things didn't happen. So that's that's just how it works. It made the most financial sense to cut me. And, you know, I kind of knew objectively it just made sense um, that they – made that decision based on, you know, what was the cards that they were dealt. Um, And then immediately after that, obviously, let Sammy know and, you know, we're on the phone working out what's next. Um, It was a bit of a no-brainer to sort of, you know, wait wait around. And, um, you know, the G League draft obviously was coming up um, shortly after Um, and was also just sort of waiting in that period between that, you know, if any team sort of pulled the trigger on a two-way or, or anything like that. Obviously, you know, there are some movements at the end of the preseason that teams have to make and, you know, there's a bit of shifting around around the league. So just sort of being ready for, you know, if anything happened there. But obviously nothing did, nothing came to fruition. Um, and yeah, ended up entering the G League draft and, and going to South Bay, being the number one pick, which was a cool thing in itself. Um, something, you know, I would never expected to um, sort of be the case. But, you know, based on everything, I was super happy with it. And yeah, obviously being here for the past. What four months? Um, you know, trying to work my way back up in some good form and and staying healthy is one thing that I was kind of being challenged with. But again, nature of the business, nature of the profession. Um, but yeah, looking forward to putting some good games together and hopefully having some opportunities for some ten days and um, some good opportunities to showcase what I can do on the NBA level again. Um, it, it's interesting that that's how things played out for you. Um,
1: you know. Probably being the first overall pick in the G League draft was probably not, something that never entered your mind before, but it probably a pretty cool mm-hmm. honour at the time, given given where you're at. And then going to, going to an organisation like the Lakers as well has some kind of appeal and prestige to it as well. But I want to ask you a bit more about this G League season, because it's been obviously a different experience um, to what you had last year on the two-way with Denver, between Denver and, and Grand Rapids as well. Obviously, you missed a, a, around about a month of this season as well with an MCL sprain, and that would have presented its own challenges just as you were starting to get going with the Lakers. But I, I want to know, like, when you're not on a two-way, you're just a full-time G League player on a roster, you're not coming and going, how is that experience different for you? how are you perceived within the organization versus some of the other guys that are on two ways, for example? And what does that mean in terms of your role, your usage, the number of plays that get called for you, just your general experience and, and how that's differed from,
2: from this year versus last year? For sure. Um, I think first off, it doesn't feel too indifferent, uh, to be honest. I think mainly because uh, like we share the facility here with the Lakers so we're around them all the time, regardless if I'm a two-way player or if I'm a, a standard G League player. Um so, yeah, like being around the team and, and, you know, obviously seeing what they do on a daily basis as well as, you know, having two-way guys and, and even starting roster of guys coming down like with Sheffino and, and Max Lewis, um, you know, you, you feel like you're right there, part of it with them. Um, and, yeah, as you said, for me, you know, I've had a pretty unfortunate run of injuries with the MCL. I had an adductor issue. Um, but, yeah, things that you can't control. Um, so, coming back from that now and, and obviously looking to, to stay healthy. But yeah, as you said, um, overall, the the sort of situation is a little bit different in terms of what's, I guess, in terms of like playing time and stuff like that, it's obviously different. You know, a lot of the stuff comes from the top down in terms of what they expect and um, and a big part of the G League. And one of the the great things about it, one of the, the big net positives is, is its ability for development for these guys, obviously young guys that aren't having um, a lot of opportunity in the NBA. Um, and I think even this year, there's been a record number of um, draft picks that have first-round draft picks that have played in the G League this year. So, um, you know, you're definitely having a high level, um, you know, high level of talent of players that that are playing on a nightly basis on, you know, on every team and um, even just getting those those runs are super beneficial. But um, I guess for me personally, um, there's still been really good opportunities there, obviously going to a new team and trying to navigate, um you know new players a new system new teammates um everything like that's um had its challenges here and there but again that's that's one of the things you just sort of have to embrace as a professional basketball player you know a lot of guys rarely go their whole career in in one place in one system so and again that's another cool part of the experience is meeting new people and seeing how things operate differently in different cities and teams and organizations but um yeah for me i guess my role uh, is sort of shifted a little bit you know but Um, I guess for me personally, the way I look at it is even though I haven't had the production that I might have had last year, um, there are still a lot of things in my control that I can do better. And there's always going to be uncontrollables in the G League that aren't going to go your way, whether, you know, you're upset with the refs, playing time, opportunities, calls being played for you. Um, It's going to be what it's going to be. So for me personally, you know, obviously now that I'm healthy, I'm just trying to look to have a good run of health. Um, working to some good form, you know obviously we have a game tomorrow, but then we're on all-star breaks, so just really looking forward to having that time to build back up and get a good routine and um, you know just prime myself ready for the games that follow after the break.
0: Indoor sports are often played on dusty, dirty, or humidity affected courts. Lack of grip hinders an athlete's performance. To be at your best, choose grip Grip-X is a new high-performance shoe grip spray using a special locally tested and patented formula. A couple of sprays of Grip-X on the soles of your shoes provides athletes with confidence via reliable stability, movement and accuracy. Used by athletes at all levels and abilities on hardcore sports such as basketball, futsal, squash, volleyball and badminton, Grip-X does not affect natural movements but supports controlled actions when surface conditions aren't great. Grip X is available in five amazing scents, including Apple, Vanilla, and Orange. At just $17.95 each, make sure you're ready to take the court anytime, anywhere, thanks to Grip X, Available only online at grip-x.com.au. Jack, something pretty exciting that's happened over the last few weeks is that you got your 2023 NBA championship ring from your season with the Denver Nuggets. Does it even seem real that you've got an NBA ring? Do You often look at it and say, what the hell is this thing? And... On the Nuggets, how often do you still connect with your teammates, given you're now bonded by a championship?
2: Yeah, um, having the ring is, it doesn't feel real. Um, I guess, to me personally, the whole last year sort of just went by, or I guess last season, I should say, went by like an absolute blur. Um, And it's, yeah, it's crazy that I finally have it, picked it up. Um, Last week, um, I saw a bunch of the fellas. Um, In terms of how much I'm connected, our group chat's still pretty active from last year. Um, and yeah there's a good good banter in there and, and everything like that as you can imagine um, but yeah obviously in terms of seeing guys face to face and stuff it's it's a bit tougher you know everyone's all over the place doing their thing games, travel, all the rest and um, obviously we have a number of guys that are on different teams but that's the cool thing about the NBA you know you stay connected and, and obviously we have great memories to look back on with that group um, so yeah for me personally it's such a an absurdly unreal and cool thing to be a part of um but yeah it's always cool like it's crazy to have it i really want to get it back to australia and um but even just having it here and showing it to friends and family on facetime and stuff it's always just uh yeah absurd every time i uh, pull it out of the box
0: i'm really interested in exploring the concept of championship dna you've been a part of two professional championship squads now one in the nbl and one in the nba Is there a through line there in terms of what makes a championship team or were they two wildly different experiences in locker rooms?
2: Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, I think at its core, you know, I was just fortunate enough to be on teams that um, contain just great people in general. Um, You know, obviously like the players count come under that, but coaching staff, just general team staff, physios, massage, strength coaches, I mean, everyone sort of has a, a part to play in, you know, establishing a culture within the group and a togetherness and and creating an environment where, you know, people want to come into work every day. And, um, and, you know, when you have that, it's easy to, you know, have everyone buy into, um, to focus on a collective goal. Um, But I'd say like similarities between like Melbourne and and Denver um, guys were selfless guys didn't care about themselves. uh, They were just all into winning and, and kind of all the individual stuff sort of took care of itself and, you know, we had great vets on both teams. Um I think it was just yeah, a good mixture of, of, of young guys, older guys with experience, um, guys that, you know, played their role to perfection on both squads, uh, both ends of the floor. Um, and also, like, obviously, I got unlucky with a bit of, with my Achilles with health, but uh, for the most part on both teams, you know, had good luck with health and were able to keep guys out there on the floor and I think that's the biggest thing especially in the nba you know you see so many injuries and there's so many games um if you can have a good run of health and you know collectively have a good run of health then that's going to put you in you know a pretty good position to to make something
1: shake jack uh, i know brian gorgian was doing the rounds around the us recently with with all these boomers guys um and i know you got to to connect with him how much time did you get to spend with gorge and what sorts of conversations did you guys have
2: I mean, not a great deal of time. Like, obviously, he's doing the rounds and he's he's busy, you know, flying all over the place. But uh, we had a good dinner, uh, me, Gorge, Jace. Um, and, yeah, no, it was great. Um, obviously, you know, there was reflection on, on the World Cup and everything like that and, um, and you know, my thoughts and areas that we could have improved and things that I thought were great and just sort of general chats about, I guess, roles and development of the team and, and what sort of things just look look like going forward, um, obviously into this Olympic year and preparation for that and logistics of everything. So it was pretty cool to kind of be on, um, that side of it. And, you know, obviously this is a dream for me. This is something that I've always wanted to do since I started playing basketball is to be an Olympian and to represent my country at the highest level. And, um, you know, any, anytime something in that realm sort of pops up in my world, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, and it's just surreal to think, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> A number of months away from from being upon us, um, yeah, and obviously it's a, a huge goal of mine to be a part of it. So, um, yeah, we had a good chat. Um, you know, things were positive. Obviously, I'm looking to make great improvements this year to to help us even more next year and try and expand my role. But but ultimately, I want to be a part of a winning, successful team and try and emulate something um, that they did at the last Olympics. And and you know, similar to what we were just talking about with with the Nuggets and, and same with Melbourne. You know, having something tangible to sort of take back with you after, you know, a period of time, a lot of sacrifices and things like that. You know, I, you know, bucket listing for me is to be a part of a, a medal-winning Olympic World Cup team and, and bring a medal home. So, um, yeah, there's no, there's no reason why we can't do that this year. And there's in my mind, you know, I feel like I can contribute to that. So, just trying to work towards that, stay healthy and, um, yeah, no, I'm excited about it.
0: Reflecting on last year's World Cup, what did you learn from that experience that you can take into Paris and future campaigns?
2: Um, I think the reality of how quickly it goes by, um, you know, especially if you don't win the games that you should win, or in your mind you don't win the games you should win. Like it just really just finishes like that, and that's how we all felt collectively as a group. Um, obviously, after dropping to Slovenia and Germany, and um, and you know having an early ticket home uh, was nothing that we. Sort of had on the cards, and you know, just sort of places an emphasis on the fact that you need to uh, really have great attention to detail and appreciation of you know each practice you get on the floor, um, you know each team meeting you have, each event, you know everything you do. It's it's super important to to building towards something, and and obviously everyone has their own uh, professional careers. Everyone's all over the place, but you know when when everyone comes together and has this opportunity to you know. Have, represent your country at the, at the highest level. You really need to just lock in and make the most of, of every opportunity you have with one another, how you can make each other better. Um, there's really no time to waste. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing, just appreciating, I guess, every opportunity to, to get better as a group or individually um, and understanding, you know, how quickly it can go by and how quickly, you know, our dreams and aspirations can kind of slip away if, you know, we don't take care of... Uh, business every day.
1: Jack, I want to just look back over the last kind of eight to 10 months with you, because I feel like it's probably been a bit of a, a whirlwind, a bit of a blur for you. You've, you had the the championship with Denver, straight into free agency and signing with OKC, boomers training camp, and there was uncertainty around who was going to make that roster. And then all of a sudden, you're on that plane to Okinawa. And then, you know, as you said, it went by really fast, You know, disappointing campaign in terms of how the team performed. Then you come back to training camp and what happened there. And then obviously G League ending up in South Bay, navigating through that whole situation. I mean, that is a lot to contend with both physically and mentally. Uh, and I'm just wondering, you know, uh, you know, have, have you had a chance to kind of reflect on the last year and everything you've experienced? I mean, when all is said and done, you won an NBA championship, you made your Boomers debut, debut at a major tournament – uh, and you've still got a lot of strong prospects as, as an NBA player, and trying to fulfil that dream of, of sticking in the league and getting a longer term contract. But if a chance to kind of stop,
2: catch your breath, and, and reflect it all on everything that you've been through over that period, not really, to be honest. And you're just listening everything out, just made me realise like how crazy it has been. But <laughs> like honestly, for me, like I just love hoops. I love playing. Um, and yeah, so I think I'm just sort of lost in the moment of you know, like I get to play basketball for a living. Like I get to travel the world and, you know, meet great people, be a part of great teams and have these unbelievable experiences that I'm sure many people would, you know, would die for. Um, and and I'm lucky enough to call this my reality. And I think, um, you, know, as, you know, obviously there has been hiccups and things that could have gone better, but that's all part of the experience. It's nothing new to me. You know, you deal with adversity all the time, whether it's injuries, not making teams, you know, you name it. Um, and I feel like for me now, like I've, I've been through injuries, I've been through not making teams, I've been through, I've been on good teams, I've been on bad teams, I've been on teams where I've played a lot, I've been on teams where I haven't played much at all. Um, and I think, you know, it's all part of, I don't know, it's like hardening your shell sort of thing going through each of these experiences and whatever adversity or what have you pops up. Um, you know, I feel like I'm ready for it. Um, yeah, it has been a crazy six, eight eight to 10 months or whatever it's been. Um, But, you know, I'm hoping it gets a bit crazier. Um, Obviously, I'm hoping this year is a big one for me, making my way back to the NBA Olympics um, next season. Um, So, yeah, I'm just trying to take it day by day. Again, control the controllables. There's so many uncontrollable things that pop up here, there and everywhere. And, you know, I think if I can just focus on what I can do for myself and, trying to make, you know, the environment around me better and people around me better than, you know, things will work out as they are, as they will. I'm interested because
1: you talk, you talked then about um, trying to make it back to the NBA and your boomers dreams as well. There's some other guys that you were on the World Cup squad with last year who have been in similar situations. Uh, you know, they've got cut as well by Washington, he's over in Japan now. Jock's had a bit of uncertainty with his with his contracts over the last couple of years and bounced around from team to team and so forth. Have you connected with any of those boomers teammates, just in terms of keeping perspective, helping each other through, and as you continue to try and pursue and chase that NBA dream?
2: Yeah, I mean, to an extent, I mean, obviously, all of us are in touch, but you know, I haven't sort of reached out too much about professional career advice. Um, I guess, luckily for me, my agent also handles Jock, uh, Sammy, so. Um, he's able to give good insights and, and obviously, comparisons and, and what have you there. Um, but, you know, for me, firmly on my mind right now, like, I feel like I'm an NBA player. I feel like I can contribute on an NBA team and contribute to winning. Um, and I guess, obviously, that's the main reason I stayed here um, in the G League with South Bay so that, you know, I'm, I'm obviously available for any call-up opportunities that, that arise um but in saying that you know obviously there's there's good basketball all over the world and there's opportunities for guys to play and you know make a great living and, and play a great quality of basketball and um and get what they need there um so like obviously you know i'm aware of that and i'm aware of you know the nbl japan europe you know everything like that um, but i think in my mind right now I'm, I'm pretty stubbornly set on on making a return back to the nba and and you know, seeing what I can do here. Um, but, you know, it's it's an unpredictable world I sort of live in and it's kind of got to take it day by day and see what happens. But at this point in time, I'm still really feeling really good about the prospect of getting back to the NBA this season and hopefully, you know, having a bit more, um, I guess, continuity with the team or, or something like that in the future.
0: Yeah. And what current feedback are you hearing from your coaches, your agent, your team about those prospects for either later this season or upcoming free agency?
2: Yeah, well, this is the thing that sucks is my injuries are sort of at a very inconvenient time for, you know, the period when like two-way contracts became guaranteed and trade deadline. Um, Obviously, I've been hurt and I've been out and I've been trying to kind of find my feet with some good form uh, more recently now that I'm back on the court. Um, And like conversations have been positive. I think even, you know, even the conversation I had with, with Presty, after I got cut, was was super positive. It was just a matter of, you know, the the pieces of the puzzle not fitting quite right together at that point in time. But, you know, I'm not trying to close any doors in this business. I'm trying to, you know, obviously make good impressions with whoever I meet, wherever I go, wherever I play, whenever I play. Um, and yeah, so I think because of that, you know, conversations have stayed positive. But it's just a matter of putting it all together now for me. I think.
0: We're approaching the end of the NBA season where players tend to be shut down due to injuries, leading to roster spots, 10-day contracts and the like opening up. So if you get a call next week, are you on a plane straight away or will it really depend on the situation? And for maybe our listeners that are unfamiliar, what would happen to your G League spot with the South Bay Lakers if, for example, you signed a 10-day somewhere?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest, I'm by no means an expert on how all this stuff works you know i'm yet to have a 10 day or anything like that but i'm pretty sure you know you, you pull the trigger on it um you'd hop on a plane go to your new destination um so like one of the guys on my team now shaq harrison he actually had a 10 day with uh with memphis earlier i guess late last year um and uh yeah like his to was south bay and then he, he's just able to come straight back um with us so i don't know if that can change you know depending on if the team wants to keep you for their g-league or you know I don't, i'm not under, i'm not across how like g-league rights work and if you sign a 10-day what does that do to your g-league rights and, and this that and the other but um, i would assume let's say i go on a 10-way 10-day I keep saying 10-way 10-day contract somewhere um you know it doesn't quite work out I, i'm sure i'd probably just come straight back here and sort of resume things um as normal gotcha thanks
1: um, last one for you, Jack. Uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's a as a break coming up for for All Star Weekend, and that includes the G League as well. Um, what are you going to be focusing on or doing during that period to kind of get ready for the last little stretch run of the G League season for a potential NBA opportunity, as we spoke about, and then obviously to put yourself in the best position to to not only make that team for Paris, but to help to
2: chase a gold medal with the Boomers. For sure. Um, well, I'm just going to be here in LA. Um, obviously this is a nice place to be in the winter um, so I'm just going to be hanging out here still got access to the gym and everything so just going to be trying to get some good work in make sure my body's um, as good as it can be uh, one of my mates from college is actually coming out here and spend some time in LA uh, for the week as well he, he works um, in like front office in the NBA so he's got the break as well so he'll be coming out here so yeah just probably a mixture of you know trying to actually have a mental break from the game and um, you know see friends and you know enjoy the weather and, and doing stuff out here but at the same time like obviously just locking in on doing what i need to do for my body and my game and, and staying sharp and you know ready when the 22nd the comes back around and, and as you said you know finish off the season here well be prepared for any NBA opportunities that pop up and you know obviously have my my side's family set on uh, on camp and, and everything that you know, everything that surrounds the olympics so looking forward to all that
0: Well, we're really looking forward to seeing you in Paris. We're looking forward to seeing you in the NBA. And we thank you so much for being a part of the show and giving us your time.
2: Jack White, thanks for being on Unwrapped. Fellas, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Always good having a chat.
0: So there you have it. Our catch up with Jack White. I have Tom Hirsch with me once again. Great to catch up with Jack. He's got a really, really strong mindset. He's got a great plan for what he wants to do. From here on in, he's obviously got an eye on the Olympics. He's got an eye on 10-day contracts. And, Tom, great to hear a bit of insight into what his life's been like over the last year because, as you rightly pointed out, it's been a huge year for him.
1: Indeed, it has. I mean, there's a lot that he's been through, both exciting and some disappointing elements as well. But the future's really bright for him, and I think that kind of came through in our chat with him. He's got a really positive outlook on where he's at in his career and what's coming up and how he plans to attack it. And we just wish him all the best, firstly from a health perspective that he stays healthy and that he gets those opportunities looking for over the next few months and certainly leading into that campaign for Paris.
0: He plays with such a ferocity around the boards and a hustle that you love to see that at every level you need that sort of player on your team. So I find it hard to believe that out of 30 NBA teams that there's no team out there that needs that skill set and needs his attitude and his drive and uh, his positivity around the team. He clearly added something to that championship team with the Nuggets. I want to talk to you for a second. This has been something that we've been doing on unwrapped over the first few months of this show. And that is to get into a little bit of the background of the pick and rolls team. Um, you've recently joined the pick and roll around the same time I did for unwrapped. Uh, you've worked with the NBL. Uh, you've worked obviously with myself on clutch radio um, for many years now. Um, Give the listeners a little bit of a background into your career, both uh, how you got into basketball, how you like basketball, why basketball is your sport, um, and your background in how you got into the pick and roll.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, firstly, I, I grew up around the sport of basketball um, through my dad, who played back in the day, um, and so my brother and I grew up with a ball in our hands and were playing outside. And I started playing competitively at. Probably six or seven years old. So it's always been my favorite sport, hands down. Um, probably around about 10 years ago now, I had an opportunity through Liam Santa Maria and Tommy Greer, who started a website that some people might remember called Downtown, um, yep. to contribute to that website with some content. And my side hustle, as I call it, as a basketball journalist or basketball writer, was kind of born out of that. Um, and along the way with that, um, I started covering the MBL um, for them and then was fortunate enough to start doing some work for the NBL's website, uh, and that obviously lasted uh, for quite a while, for about seven or eight seasons. Um, and that's afforded me some uh, some great opportunities to get involved in some other things, such as calling on Clutch Radio, um, but just really building a, a strong network of, of contacts and relationships around the sport, um, which I'm now starting to delve into on the women's side a little bit more as well. And that was one of the appeals of coming over to the Pick and Roll, that I would have the opportunity to cover both the men's side of the game uh, and the women's side of the game, as well as some of these interesting stories that are maybe not MBL specific, like Jack White and, and his journey and yeah. the opportunity to play overseas and be part of the Boomers program as well. So I'm really excited to be part of the team. There's some great uh, work that gets done here um, covering all aspects of Australian basketball. And I love the fact that you've started this podcast now and some of these sh- stories just have an opportunity to be shared a bit uh, a bit wider and a bit more broadly.
0: And you talk about the network. It is a relatively tight-knit group, but also a really positive group of people that work within the sport of basketball, that play the sport of basketball. So once you're sort of in that environment and around like-minded people, uh, I've found it, I'm sure you'd find the same thing, that it's quite motivating being around such a strong group of people that sort of see it as a labor of love. Um, it's certainly a side hustle. Um, it's definitely not a primary employee, but it's something that we love to do On a constant basis, we love to connect to the sport, learn about who's involved in the sport, who's coaching, administrating, um, and and that's something you've been able to do extremely well over the last five to 10 years is connect with people all around the sport of basketball. And um, obviously, that led to our chat with Jack and uh, obviously more chats to come as well. Um, What's your... I guess, favorite memory of your time in basketball, whether it be playing basketball, whether it be covering the sport. Is there anything that really stands out to you because you've had such a gambit of different experiences across the journey um, with clutch, with pick and roll now, and obviously playing uh, and your time at downtown?
1: I don't know if there's any one memory um, that I would lean on, but probably a few that spring to mind. Number one, having the opportunity with Downtown to cover the NBA draft via a satellite hookup the year that Ben Simmons got drafted and the year Maker got drafted and the opportunity to speak with them literally immediately after they got drafted was a really cool experience. I think in terms of the NBL, just being around the league as it's grown over that last little while since Larry and Jeremy Lurliger took over and seeing uh, year on year, the eyeballs come to it, the attention, the level of standard increase has been great to be part of that journey. And I'm absolutely grateful for all those opportunities. And then last year, I ticked off a bucket list item of mine when I got to go and cover the FIBA World Cup and be there in Okinawa for the, for the boomers in the first round. Um, and that was just a, a great all around experience. Um, and uh, I'm grateful for all the opportunities that have come my way through this sport. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I love being able to give back to the sport but also love being able to contribute to the growth of the sport in this country and hopefully around the world.
0: Well, Tom, once again, thanks so much for being with us on Unwrapped. Uh, Thanks for uh, facilitating and helping me with Jack. Uh, He was fantastic. And uh, thanks for making that happen. We are very appreciative of your ongoing work on the pick and roll. And we look forward to many, many dozens more articles to come.
1: Thank you again for having me, Adam. It's always fun to chat.
0: Unwrapped is presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasise a perfect mix of fashion, function and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black and gold colours. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts and socks to their two signature shoes, the edge in white and gold and the threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. Welcome back to Unwrapped, sponsored by FBL. Head to fblsport.com for more. Adam Webster back with you. And I'm joined for the very first time on Unwrapped by my Clutch Radio teammate, the Pick and Rolls Tristan Prentice. Tristan, thanks so much for being here on Unwrapped. It's been a while and we're thrilled to have you on the show for the very first time. Uh,
3: it's delighted. Uh, it's delightful to be on the uh, Unwrap Show finally, uh, Webby, and uh, like I said, we've seen a lot of basketball this year, particularly, haven't we, across the NBL and the WNBL, So, looking forward to our discussion tonight. Absolutely, and the playing tournament is
0: almost upon us, which means that four teams missed out on finals in NBL 24. You have the responsibility of digging into each of those four teams and figuring out why they maybe didn't make the playing tournament. We'll start with the last place team, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, plagued by injuries for the second season running. What was the major factor? Was it injuries or was it something else that caused them to finish 10th with just 10 wins? Now, they were still three wins away from the play-in, so
3: not that far, but they still couldn't quite get there. I think the major reason, of course, was uh, those injuries that you spoke about. And it's interesting that you look at a couple of case studies in the NBL And I look at someone like the Adelaide 36ers for many years that had um, a lot of injuries, which caused their up and down form, particularly to key players and imports along the way. And uh, I think along with, uh, well, the aforementioned Scott Ninnis being one of the best recruits for Adelaide for a number of reasons, not just as an assistant coach, but as a club man and everything like that, the savvy recruit for the Adelaide 36ers was they went out and got a really gun fitness guy. In Nick Popovich, and we know what Popovich has done with all the different teams across um, the NBL, as well as international, national, um, Boomer stuff, etc. And um, for me, like that's I think what Southeast Melbourne Phoenix will probably be looking at um, in their review is about how do we stop all these injuries occurring uh, in terms of the frequency and the type of injuries, because it really has harmed the roster in being able to get that consistency and that continuity in the end, uh, because as we looked at the start of the season, Southeast Melbourne had the players on the floor to be able to compete uh, for a final spot and particularly high in the top four, I thought, um, uh, Adam. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think in the end, like, you know, when you've got a guy like Mitch Creek who leads from the front with the culture side of things there, uh, that culture, it's interesting this year because they, they let Will Cummings go, didn't they? Um, because of some culture stuff, not necessarily because of the on-court play. And it seemed that's when it sort of, dive from there, but that's sometimes a choice that you make about uh, putting culture before play on the court first. And uh, while it may not uh, have been beneficial to them this season, I think for seasons to come, it sets a precedence. And we talk, we'll talk, we talk about that with some other teams about the importance of setting that precedence with culture.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. The The thing that I would say about Will Cummings is they clearly chose that culture over the ability to compete, the ability to to have that continuity, but getting back to the injuries for a second, this is now a trend with this ball club last year, this year, we've seen such a cavalcade of key injuries at the worst possible times for this ball club as they've got deeper into the season. So your call out of fitness of health of sports science is really well formed. So we know the Phoenix will be okay because they, they have those massive building blocks in Creek and source Williams. So that is, the makings of a great team year on year. Moving on to your team, the Adelaide 36ers, they made a change at the head coach position halfway through the season and they were able to get to 12 wins, just one win outside of the playing tournament, which didn't seem conceivable halfway through the year.
3: No, it didn't. And it was one of those things where, um, again, uh, CJ Bruton inherited a team that definitely had... um, wasn't the players that he picked. And then he had an opportunity to pick the squad that he did. But there were also a lot of players on um, long-term contracts that couldn't be uh, moved on for whatever reason, but still belonged in the roster as we saw at the back end of this season under Ninnis, of course. Uh, you guys like Mitch McCarron, Sunday Detch, Jason Kade, who came on, um, you know, was a good signing uh, for this year for Adelaide considering uh, what he could provide and that. You, you had your Toy Smith-Milners and that sort of thing. Let me take you back a little bit to um, uh, the first half of the season. So, I was looking at the Adelaide 36ers and at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre, um, teams shot the second lowest percentage of free throws at 70.5%. Wow. Uh, the true shot percentage was number one in the league in stopping opposition, 52.9. So, it tells you that the venue itself was really good at stopping opposition, but for Adelaide's weakness over the first half of the season, and this might have been a combination of CJ Bruton's coaching it might have been a combination of continuity in the group as we heard about with um, you know, many players and also um, uh, having assistant coach Craig Simpson in there, for an example, um, chopping and changing continuously season after season. Yep. They gave up the second most second chance points in the league at 14.5 in that first half of the season. They had the worst three-point percentage at home with 29% per game. They were second last in points from turnovers at home and away. Uh, and they had... Uh, the turnovers per game opponents conceded was the least in the league 10.2. That tells you that for whatever reason, the team wasn't working hard defensively at the other end of the floor. Now, whether that was the actual working hard part or whether that was the game plan, uh, who knows? The mystery will uh, be that way. Uh, The points per game were 88.6 rebounds. They were still pretty healthy 43.2, fourth in the league, but steals last 5.4. Now you flip this script over and there are two players that really tell you the story and it's not necessarily uh, Dijan Vasilovich. It is actually the combination of Trey Kell and Isaac Humphreys. So if I look at um, the first half of the season, uh, Trey Kell averaged 14.9 points. An average three throw attempts was four and an assist average of 2.5 and rebounds of 3.7. I flip over to uh, the Ninnis era. He was up by 5.8 points, 20.7 points, 9.8 attempts from the free-throw line, but when he became point guard, as opposed to being in that small forward shooting guard position. yeah, And 4.5 in assists, uh, plus 2.5 there. And the rebounds went up as well, plus 3.5. So Trey Kell, in the point guard position, changed the makeup of Adelaide's offense and also changed up the makeup of how other players were brought into it. And one thing that was really clear, they spoke about getting Isaac Humphreys into the game a lot more. Um, In the first half of the season, Isaac was 12.9 points. uh, And key thing here, 22.4 minutes per game uh, for Humphreys. In the second half of the season, when they started deliberately going into Humphreys on the first look, first catch inside was always going to Humphreys. 20.7 points, 7.8 plus in that area. And the minutes, 27.5, an extra five minutes per game, which is huge in a game of basketball. And you look at the combination of Kel, Humphreys, Vasilovic, and to a lesser extent, you look at Galloway and some of the other items there. Uh, it was a big impact. And the Ninnis numbers did not lie in the second half of the season, Adam.
0: And the Sixers have appointed their new head coach, Scott Ninnis, this week, Tristan. That would be a popular appointment in the
3: city of Adelaide, given his success since taking the position. Absolutely, uh, Webby. And and to be honest, like uh, with Scott, I think it's been all about uh, bringing back some heart to the club and that, as we know, uh, Ninnis, um, his last stint at Adelaide didn't end the absolute best back in 2010. uh, And he was away from the club for a long, long time. Now, I'd heard some reports this week that people were saying that, you know, he's been with the club through this whole time between 2010 all the way through to now. And we know that's not true. But what we do know is that, um, Ninus uh, uh, was approached by the club a few years ago to start working in the community programs. And there sort of was a healing between uh, the two parties as to what can happen. So this is a wonderful finish to this chapter. I'm not saying the story, because the story continues for Ninus of course. And one of the things that he did do was that um, uh, defensively, his team only conceded 13.7 second chance points per game. Uh, the points from turnovers went down to 14.6 uh, for um, opposition oppos- opponents turnovers went up to um, 11.8 and uh, points per game. Uh, his January average was 97. The Sixers scored 97 all across January and that. So all these indicators statistically on court showed a lot, but it's all about the off court, Adam. It's, we are down Vasilovich and the press has come out and back him in, uh, you know, continuously. Uh, the fans love him people understand that Adelaide basketball has to be coached at this time, at this particular moment by someone who understands the landscape of what's happening, is involved in the community. I'm going to say he's going to be the Scott Roth of Adelaide for the next few years. And that's the kind of culture that he is going to build. And you watch, it's going to be very similar to what, Roth has done with the jack jumpers.
0: That is a brilliant hire then for the Adelaide 36ers. And we look forward to the brand of basketball that they look to play next season. It's a very exciting time to be a Sixers fan. Uh, We'll move on to the Cairns Taipans who were a real surprise packet last season, made the playoffs, made the play-in tournament. Uh, I believe they finished third in the regular season. They were instead uh, eighth in this season at 12 and 16, And as usual, parity in this league is everything. They were only one game outside the playing tournament when it's all said and done. But they couldn't really get it clicking towards the second half of the year. They were kind of the reverse Adelaide. They started off pretty strong and then they dropped away.
3: Yeah, there were a couple of factors there for the Tide Obviously, uh, we know that they went and did the NBA games and they got off to a slow start in that respect. But they actually recovered from that not too bad and came back and won a few games But the problem with the Taipans, and it was evident the last couple of seasons as well, is that there was a heavy reliance on the three ball uh, in that team. And uh, plenty of times the Taipans came down the floor and looked for one shot, two shot, and then uh, looked for those three point shots. And when they weren't falling, it was just difficult to find uh, different game plans to be able to suit the personnel that was out there on the floor. And then we look at the obvious things, uh, you know, personnel-wise, uh, they um, just couldn't find uh, for for Roberts in their team a role yeah. specifically uh, as that third import in that group. And then you had Patrick Miller, who started that season very, very this season very, very well, and then uh, drifted off as the year went along as team started to shut him down a little bit. And then we all know about Tarji McCall and the, um, you know what's going on off the court, what's going on on the court, et cetera. And yep. uh, it is interesting to see that the dynamics of the Taipans uh, shifted back to the youth focus. And then, into a lesser extent, I think um, they really missed not having Bobby Clinton across the second half of the season frequently. Yep. He was damaging. He had uh, was watching an Adelaide game, and he had 20 points in the first half, Bobby Clinton. And uh, from the Taipans' perspective, we all know that each year, because of the market and the type of place that it is, They're going to be either right up there surprising people or they're going to have a down year depending on uh, how the talent comes together and that with with the budgets and the things that they're working with. So they do a pretty good job battling hard, but this year just didn't quite come together. Um, They panicked a little bit under pressure when uh, teams came at them hard and then uh, they bobbed up and made some surprise victories against teams like Melbourne, which probably, they were probably best matched against Melbourne. Uh, this year. And that was a big yep. positive for the tight bands, but just the inconsistency was the thing that caused them to miss the planes.
0: And they've got some really good young building blocks in Taron Armstrong, Sam Meninger, and Sam Wartenberg. If they're able to retain those three guys through next season, then that gives them a jumping off point and some continuity with Adam Ford, because there were a lot of changes between last off and this one, the team that was on the bubble and just missed out on that plane tournament was the Brisbane bullets. They had A really down year last season, Justin Shuler took over this year. He was able to unlock Nathan Sobey's offensive potential and they once again were within a hair's breadth of the playing tournament, finishing with the same record as Sydney and New Zealand, but their percentage let them down.
3: It did in the end, that percentage. And there were a couple of other things that I know about the Brisbane Bullets. We... They preached a lot under Justin Shulver, as you would imagine being an astute um, apprentice of uh, Dean Vickerman, of course, uh, the defensive side of things. And I had a look at the bullets MBL 23 key defensive um, stats uh, compared to MBL 24. And in the NBL 23 it was 92.85 per game that they were uh, giving up the bullets. Um, and in uh uh, defensive rating, they were 113.7, but they were giving up to 18 points from turnovers each game, which is a huge amount. It's very hard to win games of basketball when you're giving up uh, 16, 18 points per game on average. We're talking on average. So they had games where they were giving up 20 plus, of course. Yeah. And that's last year. And the defensive chemistry wasn't there. Justin Shuler's gone a long way to repairing that. You can see uh, from the recruits that he got, um, uh, Mitch Norton in there. Sam McDaniels was a key um, recruit for the Bullets this year, and they certainly are looking at um, recruiting more people like that. There's there's whispers of Mitch McCarron potentially going to Brisbane that we've heard across um, multiple weeks and that. So if you look at NBL 24, uh, they're only two points better per game in terms of keeping opposition down, 90.26. It seems like the league's... Uh, sort of marker is 85 points per game this season. So it's not quite there, but it's there enough for them to be that close to actually being a legitimate top four side. Their defensive rating is 112.9 and they only give up 13 points per turnover. And that's the Schuller effect uh, when you think about it. But the key thing, of course, is you need your imports to fire. So um, it was a question of whether the imports fired enough or not fired enough. And it was clear in the win-loss ratio that... um, when the imports fired in wins, it was 17.16 points between either the two or the three that were on court. So we're talking, of course, Chris Smith, Shannon Scott, and also Casey Prather uh, within that. 4.42 rebounds and uh, 3.92 assists. In the losses, the points were down 13.36, uh, still about four rebounds, 3.36. But i tell you what, there were a lot of ones and a lot of zeros um, in yeah. those losses. There were contributions that... Um, were not great, Um, particularly. I think the highest amount of points they scored collectively in a loss was 34 points, and that was all Chris Smith that night, I think, from memory off the top of my head. And then in the wins, the highest was 25, but that was a shared collective between the Bullets. So really, it comes down to whether they've already got Scott and also Smith signed for next year. Can they find that continuity over the uh, preseason and get them involved? Or do they need to look at making a change and finding some imports that can really take them to the next level? Because Sobi can only do so much. And Sobi was ultra impressive this year. He was high up in my MVP count in the votes uh, for uh, Jacob Dill's article recently. Uh, if anyone's wondering, I had Sobe, um in the top three. This year, I was actually ultra-ultraly uh, impressed with his maturity and the way that he assumed his game. So for me, Sobi was uh, a leader of that Bullets team, but he just needs some more help around him.
0: If it's a Sobi, Shannon Scott, Mitch Norton, Mitch McCarron sort of backcourt rotation, that, that definitely consolidates their ability to lead and gives them so much more flexibility in being able to add an import at the forward position because their guards are all squared away. Tristan Prentice, we were uh, about out of time. We've gone through the four teams that missed out on the play-in tournament. I think next time we need to get you back on to talk about the teams that made the play-in tournament, and then we can go through the very best teams in the league if you're keen to come on the show again. We thank you so much for coming on, and a pleasure to be part of Unwrapped with you, Tristan. No problem at all, uh, Webby. Fantastic to be a part
3: of the pod.